afternoon. Welcome to The Journey is Real. I'm CJ Peterson, where we talk to real people with real passions who share a real portion of their heart. Today, my guest is Lou Albert. She is talking about her journey as from the mother's perspective of when her daughter went through a heroin addiction. Um, I did a little research. Some statistics I found were completely and utterly staggering. So give me just a second. I want to go ahead and read through those real quick. Almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction, yet only 10% of them receive treatment. Drug overdose deaths have more than tripled since 1990. From 1999 to 2017, more than 700,000 Americans died from overdosing on a drug. About 494,000 Americans over the age of 12 are regular heroin users. In 2017, 886,000 Americans used heroin at least once. About 25% of people who try heroin will become addicted. In 2017, 81,000 Americans tried heroin for the first time. Over 15,000 Americans died from a heroin overdose in 2017 alone. To me, those statistics are just mind-blowing. Um, I do understand that you are a mother of eight, so congratulations and God bless you. <laughs> um, welcome to the show. Uh, the one we're particularly interested in talking to you about, though, is regarding your story about your daughter. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that with us? Sure. Um, I guess the best place to start is that in December of 2017, I woke up to a CNN story featuring my daughter pregnant, shooting up heroin in an alley and being confronted by an Albuquerque policeman who ultimately offered to adopt her baby. I knew my daughter was a heroin addict. She'd been a heroin addict off and on since 2013. I knew she was pregnant and I knew she was living on the streets. But I hadn't seen her since 2015 and just the shock and the visual of just seeing her move and her body and her speak was overwhelming to me. I immediately started trying to save the story because I'm so tech savvy, I didn't understand that it would be everywhere forever on the internet. It went viral, it was picked up by multiple news agencies. There were two more CNN stories. She was on the, the policeman, showed up on the Today Show holding up the baby with his wife. And eventually he would be Trump's guest at the State of the Union, where they would show the baby to the world. That's kind of a heartbreaking way to find yeah, out. Yeah, I, I handled it really well. I got so angry, I thought I might punch holes in walls. Yeah, up until that time, I had doing, been doing what most parents of heroin addicts do, and meth. Um, I'd been isolating, keeping it to myself. People weren't talking about heroin, and really they still aren't. I mean, the media talks about heroin, but parents don't talk about what they're going through with their own children. There's still a, a pretty major stigma around heroin use, especially when it's needles, uh, once yeah. you move to needles. And my daughter went to needles very quickly. A lot of times people try to put this face up or this mask up, that everything is fine, everything is perfectly fine, we're the perfect American family. I mean, especially in this day and age with social media, they don't want people to see that, you know, there is somebody hurting back here and I need help. 
Right. And the thing is, it's, it's that. And it's also that people are so judgmental. I mean, when you tell someone your daughter's a heroin addict, they look at you a little scary. When you tell them you're letting your daughter live on the streets, they look at you like you're a monster. And so most of us keep our feelings to ourselves. And I had gotten really good at compartmentalizing my heroin addict. I kept her in this box. And when she got out, I would have a really bad day and I would apologize to people. You know, you don't want to make other people uncomfortable. But the silliness of life, um, it all seemed when you're standing there and you don't know if your child is alive or dead, the silliness of most people's lives drive you crazy and you're just better off not, not participating. Right. So I had stopped participating. I was working out a lot. The gym was a great place. I could go and be with people without being with people. My friends were audiobooks, And I had just pulled back. And when the story broke, I think I went into free fall. My phone started ringing. I had been keeping this pretty secret. But all of a sudden, you know, her face, her name, it was all out there. Like you said, I'm the mother of eight children. Six I gave birth to when I picked up in marriage. Crystal, I am her third mother. She was put up for adoption at birth. And then those parents handed her over to me when she, just before she turned 16. When she started using, she was in her, she was 30. And when I first got a call from her boyfriend in 2013, telling me that if I didn't come to Santa Fe, she would die. Um, I was caught completely off guard. I had no idea. I'd seen her a few months before. I saw no signs. In retrospect, maybe there were signs. She, uh, she never had any money, and they were both working. But I was really caught off guard. But what made it worse was that he would call me and tell me she was going to die, and then I would talk to her, and she'd sound completely normal and say, he's overreacting. And that's really before I knew how completely normal a heroin addict sounds when they're high. It's only when they're coming off the drugs that, that it's really bad. So, you know, I had already gone through 2013 driving to Santa Fe with my oldest son, pulling her off the floor, where she looked significantly worse than she did in 2017 when the story broke on CNN. She looked pretty good then. I like to say she was a better addict. She'd been at it for a while. When I pulled her off the floor in 2013, she weighed 92 pounds. Wow. She had sores on her body. You know, my son and I broke into her house, found her in a back room, shook her awake. And she opened her eyes and looked at me and said, I knew you'd come. And it was horrible. And she had been shooting up, not just in her arms, but between her fingers and her toes and then into her neck. Wow. And so she was, she was, she looked horrible. And we convinced her to go to detox. Yeah. Getting a child into detox and rehab is challenging. I don't know how an addict is expected to do it on their own. There's lots of paperwork. There's lots of medical tests. You have to pick up medications and arrive. But, but what people don't understand is detox is seven days, just seven days. And that's to get over the worst of the addiction. That's then it, That's all that they're in for? Seven days. That's all detox is. Then you hope to get into a longer term rehab facility. And if you happen to have a hundred to $200,000, you can do that. But for middle class and, and poor, there are no beds. 
beds are hard to get. So after detox, she lived with me in Dallas for a month, six weeks before she was able to get a bed in a facility. Um, heroin's not a 30-day fix. Even if you happen to have insurance, once they're over that age where you can cover them on your insurance, heroin addicts do not pay their insurance premiums. So you're looking for, for free beds. And there, are, there aren't very many. Right. Uh, she was there. She was at her first rehab for two and a half months. When she got out of rehab, she would not go to a halfway house. She immediately went back to her boyfriend. You know, happily ever after, we're all going to be great. And then she decided the way to stay sober was to get pregnant. And so I didn't want to tell her children make you drink. Um, they, they basically, you know, it's, she got pregnant. But, and then there was nothing to do. And so we all sort of put it on the back burner. She had a beautiful baby. And then when that child was about a little over a year, she spun out again. And I know in retrospect that she had an emergency C-section. And I'm sure they gave her opioids at that point and she was and never threw her back again. on to the cycle and yeah yeah the whole medical thing that we don't that we don't pay attention to and she uh she spun out at that point bad was you know staying out all night selling everything that wasn't nailed down to buy drugs and we convinced her to go back to to detox again mm -hmm. but that time when she got out she didn't last two three weeks and then she was she was using heavily again. She was back to the needle. So what happened with her first and child? Was, was the child sent into social services? No, no. Uh, that was a big fight. I really didn't want this child to end up in Child Protective Services. And her father had gotten clean. And so he took the child and moved to Texas close to his mother. And I'll always respect him for doing that and for, and for saving that child. Um, she's wonderful. But Crystal, we left. I think that it was a point where I had to choose between my daughter and my granddaughter. And Crystal was spinning out and we needed to save her child. So we brought Sage to Texas um, where she, you know, she is still here, I think. Um, Crystal then, eventually we had to let her go. We couldn't pay for an apartment. It would have just become a place for her to hang out with her drug friends. Jim left her with a car. He was, he packed it with warm clothes and left her in, in Santa Fe. And then she eventually got to Albuquerque. For the next two and a half years, she lived on the streets. We really thought, I really thought if I let her live on the streets, it's that she would come she would she would want to come back <laughs> because <clears throat> excuse me she would miss things like beds and showers but there's also a real really free life in living on the streets you don't have to take care of anybody you don't have to make any money all you have no responsibility you're literally standing on a corner waving a flag till somebody gives you enough money to get high that day and Crystal lived, at one point she lived under a bridge, which no one understands that bridges have a little space between the bottom and the highway. Mm -hmm. And they would go up in there and form these little houses. And she lived there until the police, you know, kicked them out and took everything. 
she eventually took up with a guy named Tom and they lived together and they lived in a tent in the park or stayed with friends sometimes. I kept in touch with her through phones. I would send her phones. I probably sent her 10 phones while she was living on the streets. And so when I wrote my book, a good portion of it is text messages between me and Crystal. Uh, sometimes they're long, sometimes they're just HH when she's high and would text me at two or three in the morning. Those were the rough years. Those were the years where I never knew she was alive. So during all and, this time, I can't imagine what you were feeling as a mom. You, you, um, you don't know if they're alive or dead. You plan their funerals over and over. I would, I called the morgue once. I would stay up at night looking at websites of people, you know, lost people. There's tons of them with facial recognitions and drawings where you can just go pages and pages. You know, you go down some scary rabbit holes because you've lost control mm -hmm. and you really have no place to land. And I think that when the CNN story broke, I like to say that I had been praying and praying because I'm a Jesus girl. So I've been praying for Crystal's recovery. Mm -hmm. And in the end, God gave me exactly what I had been praying for. It just didn't involve a policeman. You know, my prayers didn't include the policeman, CNN, and, a, and an interventionist from Florida. Uh, the good news was Crystal got free rehab to the tune of about hundred dollars to $200,000. Wow. She spent six months in the rehab. And that got her where she needs to be now? She's now been clean two and a half years. Oh, awesome. So that's the good part. Uh, I think for me, the rough part was that I, you know, when I sat down to write a book, I didn't intend to write a book. I was just trying to get a chronological ordering of everything that had happened. I discovered all these text messages and I had jail records and I had medical forms and I wanted to get a story together and, and help me find my footing. I was just so angry and it made no sense to me why I was so angry. Mm -hmm. And so in the writing, I was able to sort of find myself again. And I realized that so much of my anger was just about my own ego, that I had been saving this child since she was 16 years old. You know, I was her savior. <laughs> and I, I, I think, I like to say in about two seconds, this policeman, you know, was her savior. I had my wings cut and was tossed off the cloud in about two seconds for this new savior who was now the one who, who helped her. But in reality, it wasn't either one of you that actually saved her. No, Crystal was on her own journey. Crystal needed to save herself. Mm -hmm. And so I think now what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to do a couple of things. I'm trying to raise awareness for heroin addiction and for the parents. You know, after I wrote this book, I sent it to Crystal. And she was the first one to say, you need to publish this book. Because okay. number one, I filled in all her gaps. She used to say to me, I don't remember. And I would say, well, I remember everything. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. you know, but more than that, she said, you, I have a perspective that very few parents get to tell. My daughter's alive. Mm -hmm. That's a miracle. There's no reason why Crystal lived when so many others died. You know, it was a truly miracle series of events. You had a reporter from Dallas, a policeman from Albuquerque, and an interventionist from Florida, who all ended up in the same spot to save this child. And 
most parents don't get that. Their children die. And when they die, they lose their fight and they can't, they're just too broken. And we're in a society where, where we need to honestly be raging against the fact, I mean, you read the statistics of how many people we're losing every day to these addictions, mm -hmm. but it's going to take money and science and beds and compassion in and order to that. I mean, at that point, um, a lot of people end up being addicted to whatever it is they're addicted to because they're trying to escape wherever they are and they can't because they don't have the money to do so. And they don't have the money to battle it. If your child comes to you and says, I want to get clean and you don't have a hundred thousand dollars there, there's very limited resources of where they can go. And they, you know, they try to give them 30 days and that just, that's not going to do it. And so it's, it's a long program and it's something that we're going to have to, I like to say AIDS was an out of control illness till so many people died that society stood up and demanded change. You know, and I feel that way about the opioid crisis. People mm -hmm. need to stand up and demand change. Right. Demand change from the government, from the medical system. You know, we, and, and as people, no one's going to be left untouched by this. So the judgy people who are like, ooh, your child has a needle in their arm. This disease is everywhere now. I mean, in 2013, when Crystal started using, it wasn't out there like this now. And, and I had no idea what heroin looked like. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I had warned, I like to say as parents, we warn our children. You know, we tell them not to get in the car with strangers, you know, not to drink and drive. You know, we teach them about, you know, sex and all the other things. Heroin was not on my radar. It was not something I taught my children or even raised an awareness about to them. It just was not, it wasn't in the cards at that time. But now we know it is, and we know it is everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I want, I, I hope that I can keep another parent from hiding and isolating. You know, we need to become compassionate listeners. So these people are able to talk about what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Heroin isn't a short fix. It's a long journey. And I am even with Crystal. She's been clean two and a half years. But I have a friend whose son's been clean 12 years and just relapsed. So, and you see it in the media all the time that someone's been clean for 30 years, you know, 25 years, and they relapse. Mm -hmm. Parents and loved ones have to take care of themselves as well. They have to accept that this journey that your addict is on is your addict's journey. Um, I, had a, I told a woman that my child was doing heroin one day and she said, oh, you must feel awful. And I said, I feel awful she's a heroin addict, but I didn't put the needle in her arm. She did. It's a and choice that they're making and it's a choice that they need to make to get out of it. Yeah, she has to make the decision to take the needle out of her arm. I can't make that for her. I can love her. I can listen to her. You know, the whole time she was on the street, when I, when I went through all of our text messages, most of them are me trying to find her. You know, where are you? I love you. Please go to rehab. Yeah, you know, just one after the other. But you're still staying in touch. I never gave her money when she was on the streets. 
Mm-hmm. I gave her phones. Mm-hmm. I occasionally put her up in a hotel when it was super cold outside. Mm-hmm. But I never gave her money because money to a using addict isn't the solution. No, that's fuel to the fire. Yeah, fuel. And parents go through their savings. They go through multiple, multiple fortunes trying to save their children when their children aren't really ready or open to getting clean. Now, this book that you published, um, it's called Surrender, a Love a love Letter from My Daughter or for My Daughter? It's called Surrender, a Love Letter to My Daughter. A Love Letter to My Daughter. Um, she wanted you to publish that book. Uh, in writing that, yes, book, I like- it gave you a bit of freedom. What other doors has it opened up for you in actually publishing the book? You know, it's just starting to open doors. I think I published the book and no one really where I live knew any of this was going on. So I had to go through the first sort of round of uh, just the basic people knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think I'm beginning to step out. I'm starting to speak. I'm starting to speak to groups about addiction. The best thing it did for me was I recognized I'm not a fixer. I've been a fi- fixer and a controller my whole life. I grew up in addiction. That's what you do. You, you maintain control. You either become an addict or you're a codependent. And I was a great codependent. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I have retired from fixing, which all of my children are grateful for. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's incredibly freeing for me, not, you know, to be able to recognize that I have eight adult children. And they're all on their own journeys and I can't fix any of them. They have to live their own lives now. And I think for me, I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation. Mm -hmm. I spend quiet time. Mm -hmm. I know that this road for addiction, you know, you have to, you have to keep, you have to take care of yourself when you're the parent. And I, I think that, that I've been able to talk to a lot of people. I've, had so many people who've lost children call me, mm-hmm. um, Facebook me, you know, people who are in the midst of it. I've sat with them and we've talked about letting go. And, you know, so that's, that's what I want to do now. I want to be able to reach out to people. Okay. And talk to any, them. Speaking of that, are there any stories that have stood out to you over the time since you've published the book? that have you just kind of hold close to your heart and are like, you know, I'm keeping this person in prayer because. Yes, lots of them. But interestingly enough, I spoke Friday and an older woman came up to me afterwards and she said, my granddaughter is a meth addict. And she said, I just went to see her in rehab. And she said, I asked her, how are you doing? What step are you on? And she said, my granddaughter looked at me and said, you know, Grammy, I think I'm still on step one. I just love meth. And that's what I saw with Crystal. That's what I saw with Crystal. Crystal would say to me, I don't want to live in a world without heroin. And she told me once, the guy she was with said, I can't believe you won't quit for me. And she said, I won't quit for my daughter, her father, my mother, my siblings. You're way down the list of people I won't quit for. Wow. It's a strong drug. And I think that's the thing that our children don't understand. When you ask children today why they're getting high, 
or using drugs. It's not to get high and it's not to experiment. They're numbing. They're no different than their parents at the end of a hard week wanting to have a couple of stiff drinks to take the edge off. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids are overscheduled, overscreened, and they don't know how to be quiet with themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're numbing. Yeah. And so I that's mean, where it's starting. Yeah, when they're raised on the iPad or the television, they're used to, you know, we've kind of formulated an almost instant gratification society. And yes. so when they're stuck in front of something and they don't know where to go, you know, what do they do? They don't know how to just be still. Yes, we haven't taught them to cope and ha we haven't given them coping skills. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is these kids, their brains aren't mature enough to understand that when you touch a drug like heroin, that death could be just around the corner mm -hmm. and death is permanent. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand the permanence of death yet. No, because they see on TV that somebody dies and, oh, they're back the next week or they're, you know, they're in a different show. And to them, it's, they didn't really die. And they don't understand that yeah. two things, death is permanent, and it may be an escape for them, but they're leaving a huge mess for everybody else that loves them. Yeah, I've had a lot of suicide in my life as well. And there used to be a saying that everyone has skeletons, but mm -hmm. people who commit suicide leave their skeletons in other people's closets. Mm -hmm. Addicts do the same thing. Addicts mm -hmm. are the walking dead, mm -hmm. you know, and they leave their skeletons for their loved ones. You know, the loved ones carry the guilt and the shame and the sadness and the, the, the horror that they can't save them. Mm -hmm. And so the addicts are out there walking, they're high, they're, they're doing, you know, <laughs> it's party town, but it's the loved ones who, who really are, are carrying the brunt. They're raising the children of the addicts. Mm -hmm. Well, we have just a few more minutes. Um, is there anything that you would like to add? I think if I could give words, it would be to parents who have addicts and to people raising children. You know, be honest, talk about these things. If you are a parent in the midst of addiction with a child or a loved one of any kind, don't isolate, reach out. Take some steps to take care of yourself. You can't, you can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And if you do it alone, you're just going crazy in your own way. And I think that's what I did. Are there a list of resources on your website at all for people that find themselves in this position? Yes, my website has blog posts, list of resources um, that people can, can use. What is that website? The website is loualpertbooks.com. Okay, can you spell that out? L-O-U-A-L-P-E-R-T-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Perfect. So anybody who's going through that type of a situation, you can reach out to Lou or you can even go onto her website and find the resources that you need. There is help out there. There is hope out there. Um, yes. Lou, thank you so much for sharing your heart. Um, thank you for having me. Kind of breaks my heart. but I know. It's hard. It's hard. So, um, sure. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining the Journey is Real, where there are real people sharing their real passions and a portion of their heart. And thank you, Lou, for joining us today. Um, goodbye until next time.